What's going on, everybody? My name is Eldar Basic, and you're listening to Eldar Talks Games. The inquisitive look inside video games, its industry, and its culture from an educational perspective, or at least I hope so. My name is Eldar Basic, and I'm going to be your host today. Um, so this month, we do not have a guest on. And we're not going to have a guest every single month, but that's actually totally okay. So what we're doing today is um, basically I am just going to be kind of ranting and raving about the Castlevania series and just kind of every, just kind of going down the list of every single Castle game, Castlevania game I've played and kind of explaining to you guys why the game had such a print in my childhood so without further ado uh, just a quick you know couple messages for me and then we'll get on with the show thanks for listening and i love you all right so just a quick you know kind of note for me i've been up to a couple things since i've last put out an episode um well i guess the first exciting thing is i actually i put out my first book it's a novella called echoes of the holograph and you can buy it now on amazon through paperback or kindle or you can even go to barnesandnoble.com and buy it. Um, it's a story that's basically, it follows the adventures of a superhero named Jonah. And he basically creates a type of time energy that protects all of the Earth's timelines. From there, we explore seven different short stories. One including Jonah, one including a pair of crime detective, like crime scene cleanups as they discover an alien who maybe you know may or may not have known jonah to a horror story to a blind knight fighting one of jonah's bad guys and at the end it really kind of culminates and 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 it's this special story that i wanted to put out there and again it's available on amazon and all of these other retailers i'm trying to get it on paperback in multiple stores but it's going to be a journey so yeah i've done that and again you know it's called echoes of the holograph and you can buy it just about um anywhere on amazon so let's go ahead and get on with the show again you can find me on social media uh just about anywhere at as as eldar basically which is basically just my first and last name and i transformed i don't think i'm that clever i'm actually kind of an idiot but anyway that's okay so we'll go ahead and jump into the show here thanks for listening and let's talk castlevania Oh, oh god damn it one more no two more shout outs uh one to my friend dane pv who runs the social media on 8bit.net uh through the 8bit collective and who actually hosts his own show his own podcast about mental health and progressing in life and all of that good jazz i was actually guest on that show episode 10 so check it out it's called pushing through blue and my friend chad flowers he actually just put out a really cool deathcore album uh through with his band dead wolves which you can find them on spotify all right that's enough shout outs let's get to the show All right, we're here today to – wow, that sounds like a eulogy. We're here today to talk about Castlevania, um, also known as Pachislot uh, Akujamo <laughs> Dracula, which is how it started. Um, Castlevania was one of those franchises that I've always loved, really, and it's one of those that I was a little saddened, you know, after pretty much – let's be honest, like right after the time that Kojima left – konami through whatever you know whatever circumstances 
you know, we saw Castlevania and Metal Gear Solid and all of these Konami properties kind of take a hit in popularity because, well, they stopped putting the game out. They, they, they completely stopped making, you know, Metal Gear Solid. We don't talk about Metal Gear Survive and Castlevania. You know, it's kind of one of those games that's starting to kind of see a resurgence in some remasters, too. You know, we recently saw, um, you know, a re-release of a good collection of the Castlevania games and, you know, Symphony of Night and all that. So, but, you know, I have a long storied history with uh, Castlevania. So I played the very first Castlevania on one of my really old phones. It was one of those ports and it was not very good. You know, you had three bars. It was like it took an hour to beat and it wasn't really super hard. After that, you know, I think he plays Simon. It was really hard to tell. He was literally one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. These are literally eleven pixels, and you, I think, fight Dracula at the end of that. But you know, skipping skipping that, Castlevania was a game. It came out in nineteen eighty six, um, and we've seen. I think there's been twenty plus. There's been just about twenty plus Castlevania games, right? And one of the first ones I played was. Um, Rondo of Blood on the PlayStation 1. A really difficult game. Unbelievably difficult, but so stylish. The um the hand-drawn artwork is is not only is it something that we just don't see too much of today. It was one of those games that it was it was brutally challenging. I never beat it. I put it down. And then I I played a little bit of Castlevania Bloodlines on Sega Genesis. And then you know, I think actually I borrowed that from my friend. I never, I think I played maybe an hour or two of it because Castlevania Bloodlines, if I'm not mistaken, is just kind of a, I think it's a remake of the first one. But either way, then I played the granddaddy of them all. And some would argue that this is probably the best Castlevania game, Symphony of the Night. Um, that was a game that whenever I first booted it up and I saw the title screen, I was like, okay, cool, it's a Castlevania. But then you jump in and you're Alucard and you're really insanely powerful. And and then there's these giant wolves that kind of attack you and you kill them in one hit. And you're like, oh, cool. And then you get to that room, right? You get to the death room. And death is straight up just like, hmm, I'm going to take all your powers. And he does, man. He takes all of the powers, all of them, all of like your he ta- and everything. So you spend the next, you know, 15 hours basically trying to get to Dracula. You got to stop Dracula, but you got to get these powers. And it's where not necessarily in in Symphony of the Symphony of the Night, but this sort of gameplay, this sort of game design is where the term Metroidvania comes from. For those of you who don't know, the term Metroidvania is it's basically a style of game design where you progress through the game getting powers, but while you're playing through the game you see these areas or these monsters or these collectibles that you're not able to get until later in the game when you do get a power up like some sort of like like a chose like a screw screw attack or something like that and then and then you think oh wait in the very beginning of the game there was that hole now i can go back there so it's just this style of game right and castlevania symphony of the night it just it was one of these games it just completely encompassed me and my life and i think i must have played it one time entirely through, one time all the way through the Upside Down Castle to 201%, and then just recently I played it on my Xbox One because it's backwards compatible. Um, and I didn't do the Upside Down... Well, actually, you know what? I did do the Upside Down Castle. I got all the way to Dracula, but I think I only finished it at about 176% map completion, which was... You know, I just... Who has the time, 
right? To, you know, I'm 20, I'm 28 years old. I don't have the time to be going through all of that and just, you know, exploring everything and like pulling up like a guide or something. And please be, and please do note, I did not have a guide whenever I did it when I was like 14 or 13. So, you know, not tuning my own horn or anything, but eh. so anyway, um, the hand-drawn anime, you know, the animations in, in Sims of the Night, and then the, and when you get, you know, your it, it had RPG mechanics. So whenever you would get, you, you would get stronger and you would find these power-ups. And then I would say that it, it's kind of an interesting uh, style of game design. Guess Symphony Symphony of the Night rather, where you got really really like sixty percent of the game, you were pretty evenly matched with everybody. But boy, by the last like third of that game and like let's I'm talking about the first castle, you are really just kind of you're just really you know on par with everybody, and then really really strong all of a sudden, and then shortly after that you get put into the upside down castle. And then everything, and then the difficulty spikes again, and it keeps you coming back for more. And then that final fight with Dracula, and he he goes through his transformations, and it's really cool. And, you know, uh, one of my podcasting um, idols, uh, Colin Moriarty, who actually, for those of you who don't know just yet, I'm actually going to be sitting down with him talking about the book I mentioned earlier um, in Los Angeles, or, well, I guess Santa Monica, um, on the 30th of this month, August. So I'm really excited about that, but we're not, we're not here to talk about that. So anyway, Symphony of the Night was one of just my absolute treasured games. I absolutely, you know, played the, the mother-loving crap out of it. And, you know, I've, I was very lucky to have friends that also really enjoyed the game. So we would sit down and we would talk about it. Or, well, I suppose I was 15, so I wasn't sitting down anywhere. I was riding my bike and we were talking about it. Really more screaming about it. So anyway, um, yeah, it was just one of, those, one of those games. One of those games that I absolutely loved. After that... I had a stint, you know, that came out in, what, 97? I think Symphony of the Night was 97. So the next game I played was actually, like, literally eight years later. I played Dawn of Sorrow. Dawn of Sorrow. Whoo, dog. I love Dawn of Sorrow. Dawn of Sorrow on Nintendo DS was absolutely fantastic. That game was so special because it implemented the stylus and you know, up until that time, you know, 2005, I had what? I had a GameCube, Xbox, PS2, and the the handheld of choice before that was the Game Boy Advance. You know, to be able to draw on the screen was something that was just really cool at the time. And Dawn of Sorrow, it was just one of those games where, like, you would get these familiars, and through the use of the familiars, you would get stronger and stronger, and the game kind of had, like, a wintry type of feel, and I remember playing it in December, right? So, like, the outside aesthetic matched the inside aesthetic of the game, and I absolutely loved that, and I loved Soma Cruz as a, you know, as a Castlevania protagonist, and I also really liked the accompanying NPCs and that, you know, he would find, and I actually was a big fan of the story, you know, unlike you know, Symphony of the Night, um, Aria of Sorrow kind of, you know, it, it, it fleshed out the story a little bit more. In um in Symphony of the Night it was just it was just as easy as, oh, here's here's Dracula, here's you know, Castlevania, the here's the castle. And it, you know, you gotta go put a stop to this or, or other or else, you know. So it was just a really good game that I was able to take on the go and um I just really enjoyed it. That same year, though, I also, I guess I was having a Castlevania fix because I'm showing here that I also had Curse of Darkness. Now, Curse of Darkness, I think I had on Xbox, and I don't think I liked it that much. Um, 
I could tell that it was kind of dated even for the time. Um, none of the attacks really felt punchy or weighty. And to be honest, I never even finished it. But um, Order of Ecclesia on Nintendo DS was literally just a, re- a return to form for Dawn of Sorrow. Like, I think it shared some of the same characters, some of the same NPCs. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a spiritual successor. And it had a female protagonist, which I was all about. And much like, oh, God, the recent game that came out with the, with the female protagonist, um, Curse of the Moon. Now, you know what I'm talking about, though. You're, if you're listening to this, you know exactly what, what I'm talking about. So... Um, Order of Ecclesia was also really good. Uh, it brought back the familiars, and it was just something that you know, I really enjoyed. So, Now, on the inverse of, of all of that, though, Curse of Darkness, while I didn't like it so much, Harmony of Dissonance was a really special game. Harmony of Dissonance, I don't remember. It was it was reviewed you know, fairly uh, not super well. It was kind of reviewed you know, average. Um, it came out on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in 2011. And it had one of my favorite composers, uh, Yasuhiro Ichihashi, and um, I actually still kind of listen to the soundtrack on and off. Um, It was just one of those games that I really liked. It brought back some of the some of the uh, bosses of um, Aria of Sorrow, and you know when I found out it was backwards compatible, was that they were my benchmarks, right? So. It would the, they were the games that I would play on my PC so that I could see if my PC was running kind of well, right? Because it was, you know, kind of these advanced, you know, 2013-ish types of games. Well, 2013 or 14 was Lords of Shadow 2, and Lords of Shadow 1 was like 2010 or so. That game was awesome. It was, it was a lot like... I would say it was a lot like Darksiders 1 and 2. Maybe a little more like 2. I would actually be willing to wager that Darksiders 2 may have copied the Lords of Shadow formula a little bit. But Lords of Shadow, they had really, they both had really cool aesthetics, right? And spoilers, when you find out that the main character, the Belmont, is actually Dracula the whole time, you're like, whoa, twist. Right? Uh, but it was, it's, it's just this like neo-gothic like adventure that has you not only like exploring different sort of like nature themes, more so talking about the first one um in the second one you know you're fighting these like paladins and like the game opens up in a really cool way it's this epic battle and like dracula you know you're, you're basically you're dracula at this point right and and the second one had patrick stewart like the the franchise was going this trajectory where like the end may have been a little bit crazy with literally fighting spoilers satan but that moment whenever um the silent NPC in Lords of Shadow 2 revealed himself to be spoiler, 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 Alucard. That was so cool because generally anytime I see Alucard, I'm a humongous fan, right? Uh, anytime I see Alucard, I'm just like fanboying. I love his character. He's probably my favorite character in the entire franchise. And seeing a Belmont and Alucard and uh, Patrick Stewart's character in one room you know, talking strategy and talking about how they're going to go ahead and defeat Satan. And then that final fight, which basically devolved into a Naruto Dragon Ball level fight between Satan and these and Alucard. And, oh, it was just it was just really cool. So I really like the Lords of Shadow series, and uh, I hope you do, too. Now, moving on to my two absolute favorite properties outside of Symphony of the Night. And I'm probably going to talk about this for a little while. All right. So. In 2013, on the 3DS came out a game that people, for whatever reason, at the time didn't like it, or I don't know if my memory of it is serving me correctly, but 
as I recall, people did not like Mirror of Fate. Now, Castlevania Mirror of Fate is one of those special, special portable experiences. It's easy. There's three characters. And, oh, my God. The the whip, Alucard was in it. Oh, the way – the okay. So I, I'm pretty sure it was Trevor Belmont. And basically, one thing I remember super well is that the actual weight of the whip and the actual combat itself was super satisfying and really, really gratifying. It was one of those experiences where it sort of had this like revolving game loop where you could jump in and play for 10 minutes and you'd get you'd progress and go on and go on and go on. And I think that it was a really rewarding experience because it was gameplay and combat focused rather than being puzzle focused. One of the quickest things I can tell you about myself is I hate puzzles in video games. If I wanted to be bored and go do some Sudoku, I would go do that, right? But get, oh my god, like The Witness, forget about it. I will never play that game. That sounds like hell. Anyway, I know I'm kind of mirroring some people's sentiments about puzzle games, but that is where I stand, and that's where I will die. Mirror of Fate, it had this cool concept about the mirrors, and, you know, it, it kind of built off of Symphony of the Night's teleportation schemata, and... It was just, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I, I remember that it had a re-release, if I'm not mistaken, on Xbox 360. And that's where, you know, it went to die. And I'm telling you right now, if you have the opportunity to go back and play the game, do it. Because it is so rewarding. The combat, the upgrade system, it's just so simple. And it's such a good side-scrolling experience. It's not something that could be missed. Now, I would be an absolute turtle of a fool if I did not talk about the final thing that made me fall in love well, that continued my love for the Castlevania franchise the Netflix adaptation that show is incredible, the animation the gore, the visceralness the the, the development of the characters, so for those of you who haven't watched it yet Castlevania on Netflix is this highly produced very very well animated show that follows Dracula as his wife gets killed um, and basically he kind of goes on a rampage and destroys this fictional world uh, well he tries to basically instill the apocalypse and it comes down to a Belmont, a wizard and um, Alucard uh, at the end of season 1 to stop him and the fights are so well choreographed that I can't look away every time I see them. I absolutely love the fights, um, especially the one between Dracula and the trio at the end of season two. And then they played Bloody Tears. Oh my God, it was amazing. That show has really great character development for just about everybody. You know, the main character, he starts off as just this like kind of down on his luck guy who is in a... um, He's kind of just in this tavern, and he goes on this adventure, and he meets these wonderful. Uh, he meets this amazing spellcaster, and um, it's just it's something about the way that they combine their powers that makes them really um, like it makes the fighting and the actual animation and the scripting of it really, really magnetic and very visceral very bloody there's some scenes where it shows you know mass mass murder that is is hard to look away from but it's also hard to look at because even though it's animated it's gory it's gross it's head splitting open but above all the netflix adaptation it's smart right it's really 
probably simple to put out something kind of half-baked that's in that could have been in the Castlevania universe but they gave it time and thought and energy and love and you know it's 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 headed up by by this auteur right Ari I think is his name I forgot his name but he's very talented and you know recently he announced that uh, Devil May Cry and uh, is going to get some sort of introduction into like this Netflix universe and that just doesn't that just sounds so good to be true I might do an episode about Devil May Cry but anyway so alright wow there was a that was about literally straight 18 minutes of me raving about Castlevania as a franchise clearly I love it clearly you love it if you do, go ahead and hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever. Again, on there, I'm Eldar, basically. Um, so here's just a few parting words from me, and uh, I'll let you go ahead and get back to your day, because I'm sorry for taking up so much of it. I'm sure. Alright, so anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to Eldar Talks Games. Just to wrap things up a little bit, just a few more shout-outs. One, again, social media, I'm on there, Eldar Basically. You can follow my podcast anywhere as well, Eldar Talks Games. We're also hosted on the 8-Bit Network at 8bit.net. My girlfriend actually runs a a stream of her own. Uh, She plays stuff on there like Dota Underworlds or... Creativeverse from Playful or stuff like that. You can find her on Twitch at Valentina Plays. And just, you know, hit me up if you ever want to talk about games. It's just that simple. Again, um, what I mentioned earlier, uh, my book, Echoes of the Holograph, is out now on Amazon Kindle and paperback. I think it's $7.99 for paperback and only $2.99 for Kindle. So if you have a Kindle, you know, I think it's a good read. But, you know, you make up, you make your absolute own decision on that. So either way, thanks so much for listening to Eldar Talks Games. And I will see you guys next month. Hopefully we can go ahead and get another guest on the show. I'm working some things on the pipeline. And uh, be sure to also tune in to Colin Moriarty's show. That's at Colin's Last Stand Fireside Chats. I'm going to be on there, episode 102, maybe 103 or something like that, talking about the book. So anyway... It's been my absolute pleasure to talk to you guys, talk at you guys. I love you. Have a great day and welcome to the club. I'll check you later. Bye.